Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey everybody, welcome to the Because Money podcast, episode 10. That means we've done nine episodes before this, and hopefully we'll have ten more good ones after this. I'm Jackson Middleton, known as The Kilted Broker. You can follow me on Twitter, at Kilted Broker, joined by Rob Engen from Boomer and Echo. You can follow him at Boomer and Echo, and Sandy Martin in black and white. You can follow her at Sandy Martin SPF on the Twitter. How's it going, guys? It's going really well, Jackson. Very good. Love it, love it. So today we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of uh, money geekery and uh, ETFs or EFTs and why they uh, did not perform mutual funds and all that stuff. So uh, my job right now is to social moderate. So if uh, any of our viewers want to join the conversation live on the Twitter, use the hashtag because money, and we will make sure to get you involved in the conversation. So I'll hand it over to Rob and I'll tweet out the initial video, 90 seconds with Rob Carrick, and we'll we'll get going. Well, hey everyone, uh, Rob Carrick, he was, he's been doing some really fantastic uh, work on, on just some short videos um, that I've found really useful. And this particular one that uh, Jackson's tweeting out right now, um, it was, it's about 90 seconds long and it's uh, how to, how young investors can get started or how to construct a broadly diversified, uh, low-cost portfolio, uh, super simple. And I, and I just thought, you know, this is fantastic. So he's got uh, Dan Bordelotti, uh, uh, who's a Canadian couch potato blogger, uh, writes for Money Sense, and he's got Justin Bender uh, from PWL Capital, and he's a wealth manager. And uh, they're talking about how to construct this portfolio. Well, what I found was, uh, was so easy is that uh, they're using the TDE series funds, um, and it's just four funds. So, uh, you know, people s- uh, stress all the time over their uh, asset allocation and, uh, you know, which markets should I be in, uh, Canada or U.S. or international. Um, and so I just found that this was uh, about the simplest way that you could build a low-cost diversified portfolio. Uh, I know Sandy talks a lot about these uh, the E-Series funds as well. What makes them, Sandy, what makes the E-Series funds so uh, appealing, I guess, as a, as a first-time investor? Well, they have a very small minimum. So as you know, there are some mutual funds that have a minimum initial purchase of, say, $500 or sometimes 1000 These are 100 And then they have a regular investment plan of 25 I think. Um, so it's really easy to get in instead of, I mean, if you only have 25 to invest, well, then you're going to have to worry about how you're going to allocate that. But if you have 100 to invest, then going into four funds is kind of easy, right? Um, and then the other thing I like about the E-Series funds is that people can kind of wrap their heads around mutual funds. ETFs, I mean, there's a lot of great things about ETFs, but they're just slight, that one step more um, Sophisticated, uh, intimidating. Or, yeah. yeah, or intimidating. I mean, the way you have to, you just have to get used to it, really, but the way that you have to trade them for yourself, because, of course, mutual fund sales, people at the bank don't sell them, although they don't sell E-series funds either, but the terminology is a little bit different, and some of the things to watch for as you're trading is a little bit different, so I can see why somebody who's never touched a direct investing screen before in their life would find um, the E-series kind of the most accessible to start with. So they talk about in their allocation, uh, when you're setting up an ease, all you need is the four funds, so I mentioned that. So uh, what they talked about was a Canadian index fund, uh, an American or U.S. index fund, an international index fund, 
and then uh, the bond component or the fixed income part of it, which was the uh, Canadian bond uh, index. And so they and they just do a simple allocation of 25% uh, of each of those four funds, and um, it, it 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 is so simple. And and I, I use this myself with uh, the kids' RESPs. So uh, and I do exactly that. I have the four funds, and uh, so every month I put in $200. And so the first month, $200, I buy the Canadian index, and then the next month, I, another $200 comes out of my account, goes in there, I buy the U.S. index, and so on and so forth. And uh, so just, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't really get much easier than that, and as Sandy mentioned, it's, um, there's no cost to buy them, um, whereas ETFs, uh, uh, exchange-trade funds, uh, in some cases, I guess through the big banks, um, there is a cost to buy them. So uh, maybe, Sandy, did you want to touch on that? Uh, so uh, I'm buying... You know, an ETF of the same, you know, same Canadian index, U.S. index, uh, international index. Am I, am I going to pay a like a transaction cost to buy and sell those those funds? Yeah, well, it's the same thing as buying a stock, right? So, um, whatever when you're looking up, I mean, I know nobody really digs deep into the fees and commission schedule for you know TD Direct Investing or CIBC Investors Edge or anything, but. That's where I like to spend my time is reading through the fine print of those. So those are, I mean, when you, the ETFs generally aren't listed in there yet for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but when you look up the commissions, it's based on either the share price or the amount. It depends on the type of ETF that it is. But a lot, I mean, it depends on how much you trade or how many assets you have with that particular bank. You could be seeing a trade uh, for $6.95. So if you purchase, it costs you six ninety five, um, and then if you sell, it costs you six ninety five. It could go all the way up to nineteen, and in some cases twenty nine ninety five, which right. is an outlier these days. But you know, it could cost you upwards of twenty bucks to do it. And so for the small investor or the first time investor, um, you know that the no cost to buy kind of uh, you know that, I guess that's the big advantage of this. And you know, Jackson, you kind of mentioned at the you know before we went live here that you wanted to get started investing and. So I don't know if you had a chance to watch the video and, and look at that. I mean, 90 seconds basically tells you how low cost uh, and, and broadly diversified and uh, easy this can be to set up. Is that something that strikes uh, or that interests you? Well, yeah, it it does. I mean, obviously, I'm on a, a bit of a financial journey. My my wife and I are learning how to budget and plan our money, and it's kind of it feels like we're we're trying to figure out a lot of the things that we should be doing, and then looking at uh, I mean, there's no no doubt about it. I mean, I'm when I'm in something, I'm all in. And now I'm online and I'm looking at all these stock picking sites and all this stuff, and it's like, where do you start? And they, I think the video was great because it's okay. Well, it's balanced. It's it's easy to understand. And honestly, um, this might be embarrassing for me, but I didn't know I could direct my RESPs there. That's a great idea. We've got three kids and one on the way. The government gives us free money for having kids. I still don't understand and that, but they deposit money into our account, why don't we just take that money and then put it into an RESP, get, what is it, 20% credit? Is that the is that the credit? Yeah. Get an extra 20% and then just roll it into these funds on the E-series the e or whatever these are. I'm going to have to pick your guys' brain on how to do this. Maybe we'll set up a tutorial and I'll do a, 
a, a setup or something here because it seems pretty simple and to automate everything I kind of like it but I guess my question is for you guys then is where like okay if we've got one which is super safe and ten which is super risky where along the continuum are we I mean one to ten I generally invested about a 37 so <laughs> am I okay here what do we do I think in this case you'd be super safe uh, if, if your usual spectrum is 37. Yeah. Um, I mean, the idea behind it, and you, you have to look at your time horizon too, right? I mean, you look at how old your kids are and when they're going to need the money. And so that's generally when you look at your, you know, your balance between you know, how much you have in equities versus how much you have in, in the fixed in, income portion, right? So kind of look at it. My kids are young. You know, I have a four-year-old and a, an almost two-year-old, so... It's um, you know I still have a long time horizon, so I'm 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 comfortable doing that uh, you know uh, you know 75 80 percent uh, equities and and the idea being you kind of pare that down as you get as your kids get older and, and need the money. Um, I don't know anything to add there, Sandy. Oh, this is just this is actually just a little interesting tidbit about RESPs and the grant money, the free money that the government gives you. Um, until I was in banking, I never really knew that the bank had to deposit, or the bank, the government had to deposit your bond, your Canada Learning Bond, or the Canada Education Savings Grant, or the uh, extra, all the extra stuff, into money market funds. So if you don't pay attention, if you think you've automated it, and you're doing, you know, $25 to each fund, or however you've got it um, set up, you'll still need to go in every once in a while and make sure to take the money market funds and transfer them over um, to the to the different um, e-series funds because they're not going to do anything for you in the money market fund. There's no point in having 20% of your investment go sit in cash for a while. Right. That's the only thing I'd add. Well, if I'm jumping in on the Twitter, uh, hi, Noel. Thanks for joining us. He says, for those just getting started with no investing experience, that's this cat, on this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, I've lost a lot of money in the stock market, <laughs> but uh, I like the ING Streetwise funds. Hmm. This guy right here has an ING Direct account. And then he says this is one of those, oh, no, he said a bit more expensive than TDE series, but handles the al asset allocation and rebalancing for you. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, Dan on the Canadian Couch Potato touches on this. He called it the one fund solution. So it was a little bit more expensive, than, I think quite a bit more expensive than the E-Series funds. However, it automatically, it's a balanced fund and it automatically... Um, you know, does the rebalancing for you, so you don't have to worry about anything. So when I when I say that, I mean, you know, with E series, I, I said I'm you know buying $200 of the Canadian index and then the American index and whatnot. And then at the end of the year, if you know the American market took off and and the Canadian market went south, well, I'm going to have a lot more money on the American side. So if I want to get back to my 25% Canadian, 25% American, 25% international and 25% bond, I'd have to do a little bit of buying and selling uh, to reconfigure that, whereas this ING fund uh, does does that for you or keeps you in line. Hmm. So, but it is, it is uh, I mean, uh, when you look at this video, they construct the TDE series portfolio at about uh, uh, an MER, or management expense ratio, of 0.42%, uh, which is super cheap. Um, and I think the ING Streetwise Fund, it's a bit north of 1%. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, when you're just starting out, that's not going to make a huge difference. Um, 
over time, you know, it might add up. But uh, when you consider the average Canadian mutual fund, and maybe that'll lead us into our next uh, segment here, but the average Canadian equity fund, I think, is uh, a little bit higher than 2% MER. And so, you know, when you start looking at E-series, or if you start looking at ways you can cut that in half or even, you know, a fraction of that, it's going to add up, um, you know, it's going to make a huge difference. And, you know, the one article we looked at here for, um, that was kind of disturbing because we thought that ETFs, because of their low cost, were gaining a lot of traction, was that uh, mutual funds have actually still continue to out outpace as far as the sales of them go uh, of ETFs. So we thought ETFs were gaining some traction here, but it looks like the total value of assets held under uh, for mutual funds is approaching a trillion dollars, um, which was kind of surprising to me. Uh, Sandy, what was your take on that? Well, partly because a lot of, I mean, I look at a lot of defined um, contribution pensions, right? So almost all of those are either in mutual funds or some of them are in segregated funds, obviously. Um, but between the two of them, I mean, I haven't seen a Sun Life or a Standard Life or a Great West Life. I haven't seen them offering ETFs in those pension funds. So number one, that's a lot of the way that people actually are saving. So through you know, a group plan. Yeah, through a group plan. So you're going to see, I don't know, that wasn't as surprising until they offer those. I don't think that um, ETFs are going to beat RSPs. But um, the other thing is obviously you can't just walk into a bank. For people who, like the ING Streetwise Fund, that's appealing to someone who's never touched a trade order in their life, right? And it, it should be. So those people are the people that are going to go into the bank and say, you know, I, I hear about all this indexing stuff or whatever, but bank people can't sell ETFs. It's not part of their licensing. They're MFDA, so Mutual Fund Dealers Association of Canada. That's their licensing. They're not allowed to deal with ETFs because ETFs are traded on the exchange. So that's IROC which for the life of me, I couldn't tell you what that stands for. <laughs> something, something, something Canada, maybe. <laughs> um, investments probably in there, too. Probably investments, something, something Canada. Um, so until, until I think, regular off-the-street Canadians can buy ETFs without actually having to push the button on the trades themselves, um, I think mutual funds will still have a big market share. I don't know, I could read that totally wrong. but Well, I think you're right on the group side, that's huge, and uh, also just the, the huge marketing power of the bank, or, the, or just that, you know, people, you know, uh, the average person, I think, when they're ready to start investing, and maybe, uh, Jackson, if you weren't in this podcast listening to us talk about E-Series funds, where would you go? Would you walk into the, to your bank and say, you know, I'm ready to start <laughs> investing, I want to put $200 a month in, in here, and where are you going to put me? Well, there's I would no like to see that alternate universe. There's no secret that I absolutely abhor the banks. Um, yeah, as a mortgage broker, the typical bank value proposition just disgusts me. But I probably would talk to um, I would talk to my buddy who works at the the cooperators, or you know, my buddy who works with RBC Dominion Securities. Uh, that's who I'd go to. I'd personally go to a friend, and I would talk with them. And knowing kind of what I know about. Uh, which isn't a lot, um, I would be looking for something that I could manage myself. But again, then I'm a 37 on the risk sale. 1 to 10, I'm a 37. So, I mean, the appeal to me on investing would be in a stock account. I mean, I I, I think 3D printing is going to hit. So let's buy the three biggest stocks with 3D printing. If it hits, 
it's a home run. I got a 10-bagger, a 20-bagger. If, if I lose all my money, I've lost all my money before. But maybe that's not the responsible kind of father, I've got kids kind of a, a play. That's kind of the arrogant 22-year-old who probably has money to burn. So, yeah, no, I, I think that I would start by talking to people I know, and I would do some... I, I do some looking, but no, I would certainly not go into the bank. And being a, you know, a serial entrepreneur, I don't have a group plan. The idea of a pension plan, I mean, my dad was uh, a railroad, I mean, he's a teamster. He was a teamster for 32 years, uh, Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers, full retired pension. To me, that whole union, that whole side pensions, that freaks me out. And I, I'm not even close to it. So, no, I'd probably just invest in my own business but if I had to get into the market I'd start by talking to people I know. So Sandy you would mentioned that the uh, uh, so the average or not average but the bank uh, the bank advisors they are licensed to sell mutual funds but not ETFs uh, and, and there's two I guess dealers or whatever that are certifications that they have to get to uh, to do that so do, do, does the average investor know that that they're kind of on their own to get at these ETFs or is that, is that part of the um, is that part of the issue here? Uh, oh, golly, that's a good question. Um, I, obviously, the people that we kind of interact with online, they all know ETFs. I mean, ETFs are kind of the in-fashion thing. Because if you mention E-series, I mean, TDE series funds, or heaven forbid the streetwise funds that came up to some people online, you're going to get an earful about ETFs and ho, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> and for, I mean, an e They'll take the 0.42 MER and say, well, you could get, you could shave that down to 0.12 or 0.2 or something like yeah, that. 0 0.05. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all well and good, but you're right. The average person, I don't, I mean, I, and I don't, I, I hate the finance fashion of talking about dumb average people because they're not, they're really smart about what they do. They just don't pay any attention to investments because frankly, unless you're money nerd, it's kind of boring, right? So those people, uh, are walking into the bank and some of them, I mean I've had long conversations with people trying to explain what a mutual fund was. So I don't think that if you said ETF to them they would even know what that is. I I mean I think, the, and, and the reason is because any any expert that they would go to doesn't can't sell them. I mean if you go into your bank or if you talk to the investors group guy that comes to your house or whatever they're not licensed to sell them, so they may be interested, they might be doing their own research and curious about the <laughs> ETF curious, but they're certainly not going to be mentioning it in the conversation about how to invest the money that they want to collect. So this next article that we looked at in uh, Money Sense talk, talked a bit about that, and, and so what if the bank advisors were able to sell ETFs? Would that change their approach at all? Would that change the bank's approach at all? How, do you, how would you see that playing? See, I guess, I mean, when I was in banking, we sold index funds, but we never sold, I mean, we sold them as in they were available on the menu, but, I mean, someone had to ask before you would talk about it. You're not, I mean, at the bank, and obviously, if, I mean, if the embedded part of a commission, so the, the way that people, that advisors are able to give you your financial plan for quote-unquote free, right, is how they, the commission is embedded inside the trailer, the MER that we're talking about, the 0.44% for E-series funds or whatever. So in a, in a bank model, the advisor is compensated, although not their salary, but they're encouraged to sell things like equity funds and income funds. They have quotas for those things. 
they don't have quotas for index funds. It's hard to find a spot to fill it in on your quota board. <laughs> so while they, so they do say they've been selling index funds since index funds were invented, but they haven't actually been selling them. So I would find it difficult to believe that even if they were able to include ETFs in the mix, there's no way you could have an ETF with two and a half percent MER and have people not notice. Right. Although, as I say that out loud, I think that's actually probably not the case. You probably could. Let me jump in here from social. Uh, Rick Tiefenbach says, every client I have that comes in with existing bank fund in some balanced fund, they are overpriced to just mirror index. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the problem here. Like, I looked at, um, a while back, I looked at uh, all the bank Canadian equity mutual funds. And so basically what that is is they're, they're taking the Canadian market, but it's an actively managed fund, but they're taking, you know, a portion of the Canadian market and, um, and, and that pool of, of investments is, is their mutual fund. And, and all of the MERs for all of the, all of the big banks were over 2% or very close to 2%, um, you know, their expense ratios. So, and then I looked at, each each of their index products. So for for TD it was their E series ones, which is by far the lowest cost. And for RBC they have uh, they have a pretty good product as well. I think it's around it's around one percent. And in every single case I looked at the performance of these funds, back, going back ten years, and the index fund outperformed the the equity mutual fund every in every case. And so, and, and by a wide margin in, in a lot of, uh, in a lot of respects. So then, then I guess what you would look at is the, well, what is the active managed fund? Uh, what is it doing for you? What is it, why are you paying the 2%? Is, is it for some type of expertise? Well, when you actually look at the fund itself, it's invested, it, they call it kind of a closet index fund. It's, it's invested in pretty much everything that the, that the TSX or the, the Canadian index is, ha, has. So, there's no there's no way to differentiate itself. It's not like they're they're owning some investments that's not included in the index fund, right? That's that would be the only way they could differentiate themselves from uh, from the index itself, right? So for example, if I had just all small cap stocks in a in an equity fund and I charge you two percent for it, well, what you'd pay for there would be the outperformance of small cap stocks, like, you know, small companies like your 3D printers that are going to hit it big. Well, that would, you know, someone might pay 2% to get that. But what you shouldn't be doing is paying 2% to get the exact same thing that the Canadian index, uh, that a Canadian index fund could do for a fraction of the cost. That makes sense to me. Amen, brother. Big Rick says CIBC also charges $141.25 to transfer an RSP out to a different investment company. Is that something banks typically do? Charge money to uh, move your RSP? Yeah, it's not just banks though. It's anybody. Is no, it let's not pretend. I like to well, pick let's on not banks, pretend it's nobody. Yes. Yeah, but it's it usually around $125 to $150. But here's the thing that people need to know: most of the people that you're transferring to can credit you back at least at least $125, if not more. Like TD right now, we'll credit. So TD is a big, bad bank, but if you transfer into them, I'm not affiliated with them, by the way. I know this broadcast probably sounds like it, but if you transfer right now, they have a, a deal on where if you transfer um, RSP assets to them, they'll refund back $125 of your transfer. 
Okay, we're bringing this right down to basic. Right down to basic. By the way, Noel says on the Twitter, do people know what an index is? I don't know that I could define one, so let's... Ladies and gentlemen, what is an index? Rob, why don't you start? Well, the index is the uh, is all, all the stocks that make up a, a, an exchange. So in Canada, when we talk about the Canadian index, we're talking about the Toronto Stock Exchange and the companies that make up or that make up that exchange. So when you buy an index fund, you're buying a portion of all of those companies. And so that's when they say like broadly diversified, uh, low cost index funds or ETFs, you're buying a small slice of every company on that, on that exchange. And, and there, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. And there are like thousands of inde uh, indices, excuse me. So when you say broadly diversified, I mean, you can't pick the, like for instance, investing just in the NASDAQ index fund probably isn't going to give you a very broadly diversified portfolio. Yeah, because you get a lot of Apple. <laughs> but what you do that if you buy the whatever yeah. S&P 500 too. <laughs> I don't know. Index, I mean, there's, I mean, you gave a very good brief answer to that. I think, I think I'm going to leave it at that, except to say we could do a whole other 17 episodes about yeah. the indices. <laughs> I kind of want to just touch on that uh, transferring your RSP because I think that's really important. A lot of people who started investing, say like Jackson mentioned with a friend or you know, someone they knew or whatever, and they're just not, you know, they're either not happy with the returns or the fees or whatever. They kind of open their eyes and say, I don't really want to be here. Well, a lot of them are, you know, that, people that I've talked to anyways are uh, intimidated about like firing their advisor or fire or getting their money out of there. And, and uh, you know, Sandy, maybe you could just walk us through. It's not, what did you call it? Breaking up is not that hard to do, right? Breaking you up can, isn't hard to do. And, and so it's it's on the and, and so you mentioned they'll charge you you know a lot of the banks will charge you a fee to transfer your money out of there, but that uh, incoming bank might do you a lot of favors here. Is that isn't that right? Yeah, and if you're just doing it from bank to bank, so if you're not going to Questrade or something, if you're going to sit down across from somebody at a desk, that person wants to bring your money to their bank. So you don't have to walk across the street to CIBC and tell the lovely girl behind the desk that, excuse me, lovely woman behind the desk that you don't want to trade there anymore. You can just sit down at TD and say, or let's use another one. Uh, you can sit down at Scotiabank and say, I would like to transfer in my portfolio that's at CIBC. Here's the account number. I'm going to sign all the documents. And now, by the way, also, I would like you to refund my transfer. And the person behind the desk has the authority to do that for the most part. They don't have to call up to a manager or anything. So it's not like some secret, you know, Starbucks menu or anything. But really, they're the ones, it's in their interest. They're incentivized to bring that money in. So they want to make sure that it's all done. It's your job to ask them you know, when should I worry if I don't see this in my new account that you've opened for me? Should I wait for two weeks? Should I wait for three weeks? What is that time period? And then mark it in your calendar and follow up with them. But I, I mean, if they're worth, you know, the computer that their company bought for them, they will be tracking and making sure the money came in because they're, I mean, that's how they're graded for their performance, right? So, but they're the ones that do all the work. It's lovely and wonderful. So you don't have to have that awkward conversation with your buddy, although... You, it might come up at a cocktail party later on, but uh, you don't have to have that awkward conversation about I am moving my money. Well, the incoming yeah. bank or the bank you're transferring to will do all of that for you. 
And you can do that. If I can just mention, too, you can do that with your locked-in funds. I don't know that that's, I mean, people are always surprised by that. But you can move your money around as much as you want to, really. Your tax-free savings account, you can move around. Your RESP, you can move around. It's a little bit more difficult. But And you're locked in your old pension from whatever that old job was 15 years ago. Well, that's, what, that I was, too. that's what I was right about to ask, because I've got something in the public employee's pension plan. Apparently, I worked casual for a library for many years, and I've got like 4000 bucks sitting in a pension pension plan that I have no idea what it's doing. Can I move that? Well, it depends on how it's registered. But theoretically, you could. That's that's my short it depends answer. Sorry. Money challenge. <laughs> I just made money on my money challenge. <laughs> a lot of a lot of this stuff is just worth asking, right? It's just like, you know, uh, you know, they're charging me a fee to transfer my money. I will ask the incoming bank to to waive those fees or to or to pick up the costs. Um, I'm so sure that works that we, the same in mortgages, right, Jackson? Do you think that we don't like to ask just because we're Canadian and we're way too nice? Like, we're polite, we don't want to offend it. Like, is it part of our culture to just not ask for things, or are we starting to get really ignorant and asking all the time for everything? I don't think you no. know. I don't think we know, to be honest. Like, I don't think we know that the person on the other side of the desk has the authority to, to grant this. I don't think, you know, we just don't know that... You know, you see a fee and you accept it at face value, and and just leave it at that. So I'm 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 getting better at uh, asking, um, but it, it's hard to do. And I don't know if it's our Canadian nature or what. No, and I think it's intimidation too. I think that there's that real feeling that the person across the desk knows more than you, or is going to laugh at you for not knowing what a you know what the fee is or what a mutual fund is or something. I think that's a real intimidation thing, and people, it's hard to get over. Like. I mean, even we talk about it all the time. It's still hard to get over sometimes. I remember when I worked at a hotel and, and at the front desk, and we had a your rates of the day to sell or whatever. So you know, a regular room, someone coming off the street that doesn't have a reservation, no affiliation whatsoever, was two hundred dollars. But we'd have specials as low as you know, eighty nine dollars. And I remember once my front desk manager chasing someone out the door who he quoted two hundred dollars to. And he walked away, went to the parking lot. He chased him into the parking lot and said, uh, no, it's $89. So um, I always had a kind of a hard time doing that because, you know, how can it be $200 and then, then in the next breath it's 89 But, you know, next time you're getting a hotel, think of that. And it's, it's true in a lot of things. You're, you know, your cable, banking, a lot of negotiation. Mm-hmm. So are we? I think that's uh, we're cutting this down to 30 minutes now, are we not? And and Ooh. so I think we're out of time here, unless we've got any more questions on the social media, Jackson. Everything looks good. Big Ricky T says I can uh, change it as long as it's a lira, and I think yes, that's a locked-in retirement account. There you mm-hmm. go. So I guess I could transfer that over. That's four thousand dollars that I'm gonna. So now can I do that into a into an ETF, or is that that's not a locked-in? You can. The, lo- the locked-in lira that he's talking about is just the tax designation. So you can invest whatever you want inside that bucket, if you will. So, yeah, you should be able to put it in whatever you want. You just can't have it. You just can't, you can't take have it that money. Oh, I don't want it. <laughs> okay. Well, I do, I do want it. But you want I, it in 3D printing it. stocks. Yeah, yes, that's exact. That's what I need to find. Let's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put that 4000 into there. Cha-ching. This is a win. This podcast has been a win for me right now. We'll, we'll see. Personal you let us know win. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> and hey, if I lose all my money, it tells a good story. That's what I figure. So. <laughs>
Well, there we go. We That was half an hour. We're done already. Seems like we just started, but there we go. Great stuff, and I think uh, you know Jackson had mentioned uh, in, in the uh, in the intro talking about RSPs and the home buyer plan, and I think that's that's a topic worthy of a, of a show on its own, and um, uh, on the merits of that home buyer's plan and and uh, using your RSP and, and little tricks you can use to take advantage of programs like this. Yeah, why don't we talk about that next week? I like that. I mean, well, great. Cool. Well, thanks to everybody for uh, watching and joining. If you have any questions or comments, because we cut it short, uh, we will be from now on cutting it to a half an hour. Uh, feel free to contact any of us anytime. You have our Twitter handles. And we've got a comment section below. It's on the Because Money, I guess it's becausemoney.ca. The comment section below. If you have comments or questions, ask us and we promise to get back to you. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship. Be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.